do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Bozo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. Ultimately, I'm committed to building ecology, profitability, and beauty on farms around the world. And that's what drives me to do what I do every day. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, a podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. Before we get started, I've been recording these interviews next to my day job and I will definitely continue to do so and release about an episode a month. But at the same time, I would love to take this further, share more interviews. There are many more stories to share on investing in regenerative food and agriculture. More depth, improve the quality, maybe even doing some video series. So I started a Patreon community, which makes it easy to support creators like myself. If these podcasts have been of value to you, and if you have the means, I invite you to support me and make this happen. For more information, please find the link to my Patreon account in the description below. And now, without further ado, the interview. Enjoy! You're going to listen to an interview with Abby Rose on the role of Farmers First Technology in the regenerative agriculture and food transition and how it won't save us all, but it's absolutely crucial to empower farmers. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Koen van Seyen, your host, and today I'm joined by Abby Rose. She's the co-host of Farmerama, the monthly podcast sharing the voices of small-scale farmers in the UK and beyond, and a natural wine producer and farmer with her family in Chile. But last and not least, she's also the co-founder of Vida Cycle, a tech company focused on small and medium-scale farmers. Welcome, Abby. Thanks. Hi, Koen. So first up, a personal question, how do you end up in Chile and how do you end up working the soil and in a natural wine company? <laughs> Big question. So my parents moved to Chile when I was just at university and um, they, my parents are both originally from California and so they were looking to return to f uh, farming-based business and they wanted to find a similar climate to California. And so Chile is a very, where we are in Chile is a very similar climate and kind of terrain to California, but on the other side of the equator. So it kind of made sense to go to Chile. Also, we knew a few people in Chile and they helped us find a piece of land that was actually that neighbored their farm. So that worked very well. They're a local Chilean couple who make wine here. And so it just all kind of fell into place quite naturally. And that's how we're here. And we've been here over 10 years now up in the, it's the coastal hills about three hours or three and a half hours south of Santiago, about halfway between the Andes and the ocean. And it's very, very dry here. We have about less than 800 millimeters of rainfall each year. It depends. Last year we had 400. So we're kind of in a drought this year. And you really feel living here on the land that, you know, resources like water, and soil, the pressure is becoming ever higher and you really need to build a landscape that 
is resilient and that can have a, an ecosystem that sort of survives on its own. So, you know, the soil holds the water all year round and it holds every drop of water that comes down. And I think that's how I really got into soil was actually by being here on the land and looking and seeing that things weren't working. We had a massive fire come through in 2017. It was, yeah, totally devastating. I mean, the fire burned over a million acres. So we were small collateral. But, you know, our 8,000 olive trees, they all burned. And I would say now two years on, probably only a thousand of them are still you know, going to be producing fruit in the next five years. So that's a pretty serious hit because 2017 was going to be our first ever olive harvest. (laughs) So devastating as a farm. But then you start to think and you look around and you say, well, why did everything burn? And really it's a lot to do. and, And, you know, going forward, how can we have a farm here if fire's always going to be a threat? There's always going to be more fires. So we need to create a farming landscape that is essentially, you know, fire friendly, basically. And that's what we're aiming to do today. And that's where we've started to really focus on soil health and how to rebuild soils. And so we've taken steps. We've got our first few sheep here. We're mob grazing them, moving them around regularly. We've allowed some of the grasses to grow quite tall this year to see if we can get better root penetration and everything we do now is all about how can we build the soil health and how can we make this farm fire friendly does that answer your question yeah when did you see that connection between soil health and fire friendly which i I love as a term it sounds a bit too friendly maybe i know such a destructive (laughs) such a destructive uh, force but where did that connection or what was was there a moment that you discovered or saw that okay we need to build rebuild the soil here to actually be more resilient against fires and more fire-friendly. Yeah. So, well, I guess it was, you know, the idea of a fire burning over a million acres, that's insane. And that fire took out whole thousand-person villages in a night. So that's what you class as a super fire, right? And those kinds of fires are a relatively recent phenomenon. We've always had forest fires, obviously, but for them to burn that quickly with that intensity and be so out of control. It's not natural in that sense. It's actually man-made. And, you know, you can read around and and like we're surrounded by, there's 14,000 hectares of pine forest here. Chile has a bit of a complicated recent history with pine companies or paper and wood companies. But anyway, so there's this 14,000 hectares of pines And it's a total monoculture. And so when a fire comes, it rips through that monoculture like nothing else. And we actually have a native forest as part of our land. We have a few hundred hectares of native forest on our land. And the fire actually petered out when it went through that native forest. So we're actually the edge of this million acres of fire. So you can see that I would say the intensity and the degree of these fires are man-made. And so that's where we started to think, okay, well, To make something fire-friendly, we need to start looking to soils that it needs to have moisture in the soil so that you can have crops or grasses that are green all year round because then they don't burn. 
in the same way and increasing the diversity on the land, having trees that are able to retain water better. You know, pines are actually quite extractive as a tree, especially when they're planted and at that scale. So it was kind of through that journey that we came to soil health as being the key to a more resilient farm. And also, you know, the reality is, is that soil as a living system is a massive buffer because it is incredible at retaining water. It's also incredible at infiltrating or allowing water to percolate through. And both of those qualities, you know, whether it's drought or flood or fire, they're really important in order for a functioning farming system. Definitely, yeah. And, and do you see a connection now with the quality of your produce, in this case, the wine? I mean, or has it been too short for that? Do you see like better soil health leads to better produce in this case? I would say this timeline is way too short. We're just about, so since the fire, um, you ha we haven't harvested anything since the fire because nothing has fruited. So we're just literally later this week going to do our first harvest of grapes. So we'll let you know. <laughs> to be continued, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but what I would say is that inevitably, if you start by looking at the soil and regenerating the soil system, that's just the base of, to me, an ecological system. So when you have a, a very well-functioning soil, then you have healthier plants. And then they're less prone to attacks from different pests or diseases So it is all like a, once you get the soil in motion and working, it seems to be that it's just a system that works and therefore you do get higher quality produce. And a lot of people, and, you know, I've been tuning into different people talking about the microbiome of the soil and that if you have a very diverse microbial life in there, that that is potentially reflected in its nutritive value for human beings in terms of that it might also affect our microbiome yeah i'm, I'm actually planning a series on that i think it's one of oh, the yeah. one of go. the key the key connections to help accelerate the regenerative ag and, and food movement and the soil movement obviously. yeah yeah no i think it's really interesting and i think amazingly when you talk to a lot of farmers You know, we have all these issues around like organic or what label do you have or what label are you using for your farming style? And there's all sorts of elitism wrapped into that. But almost every farmer you talk to wants to produce food of higher nutritive value. Like that is important to them. And that's cool. I completely agree. But I also see it goes against such a big system of certification and a big system of farming that it's going to be quite an interesting battle if we're going to select on nutrient per yield per acre instead of yield per acre or kilos or tons etc to see what's going to happen and and what's going to be the differences between certain farming systems because we can hopefully with that finally compare them on something that's important to in this case it seems all including the farmers so that that's going to be very exciting yeah i think it's going to be quite quite interesting to see how the supermarkets or how the shells or the where, where you get your food in the farmer's markets change because these tomatoes seem the same they have the same color of red and the same color etc but they are actually not because the nutrient content could be a factor 20 different yeah i actually like i still uh, worry about any single uh measure like that 
because I feel like single measures are what can really lead us down a path of not understanding the whole picture. <laughs> and I'm going to contradict myself here and say that if I was to have a single measure, I think my measure would always be diversity. I feel like that is what underpins the most effective way of understanding if a system is contributing to the earth, to people, to health or not. I, I agree. And because we're, it would be great to have these nutrient meters, but then what is good and what is not, and what's going to be good for you and what do these numbers actually mean, mm -hmm. which is something, I mean, we don't even know how to come up with a diet let that works, let alone a nutrient based one. So that, that's going to be very yeah. interesting. And there's going to be a lot of, a lot of blah, blah, blah around um, <laughs> to hopefully get to some proxies or at least some indications of what works for at least us and, and soil. And so how did, I mean, the focus has been soil, I think also already before, because you, you were building a natural wine company, which, which have the name at least to be focused on soil more than a chemical based uh, wine company. How did it lead to founding a tech company from within, basically? What was the need you saw and it got you to focus on that? So originally we planted 8,000 olive trees and each year we were having frost damage issues on a few hundred trees. And it really wasn't clear whether it was the same trees year after year or maybe different ones. And, and then it becomes very difficult to manage because you don't know if it's just a weak tree and you need to pull it out and, and change it, or if it's just kind of random and some years one gets hit worse than the other and there's nothing you can do about it. And so because of these kinds of questions, I studied physics at university, so I know how to code. And my dad was telling me about his the problems with the olives. And so we came up with a system using... RFID tags or contactless tags on each tree that allowed us to record. Uh, we could take photos. We could record if there was a problem that happened with a specific tree or if a tree had frost damage. And then we could go and look which trees had frost damage one year, which had them the next. And then we could actually start to make some decisions about how to manage those trees going forward. You know, it's, it's amazing how Of course, you can walk around the trees, but you just can't remember everything, <laughs> obviously. No, and even, I mean, with 8,000, which is a lot and not a lot at the same time compared to some yeah. other farms, but you don't, you'll never remember because they're 8,000. Like eight, okay, exactly. 18, maybe you can still do something. But beyond that, beyond 100, it, it just becomes too complex. Too and complex. So some simple between brackets, uh, RFID tags and an app basically became a data-rich olive farm compared to a data poor one. Exactly. You know, and then you can, it just completely transforms how you make management decisions. I mean, even after the fire came through, you know, we were then able to go through and log, okay, well, what state is each tree in? And then we had some numbers and we could see, well, you know, how do we move forward from here? And it, it was pretty clear that we needed to move some trees and replant them in a certain area and then just really put our time and effort into those trees and not worry about others that, you know, were more badly hit. So it really does help in that sense. And I mean, that's great. I think many farm, not many farms, there are a number of farmers that invented something for their farm, mm -hmm. but then to turn that into a company and actually sharing it, or in this case, selling it, Um, to others, to outside clients is quite a step. What, what made you do that? 
Well, part of what made us do it is that our neighbors became interested and started asking, oh, well, actually, for my blueberry farm, I need this. And <laughs> and so then, you know, I was doing all this in my spare time. So the demand on my time came more and more. Uh, and that was why. But I guess fundamentally why is because for me, you know, here in Chile, I get filled with hope because I visit so many small to medium scale farms that are totally commercially viable. The blueberries we eat in the UK are exported. I've been to different blueberry farms here that export to the UK and they're like wonderful farms. They have great workers and they kind of, you know, manage everything in a very ecological way. And it just fills me with hope that actually these are the farmers feeding the world. Obviously, blueberries is a expensive crop, but just to say that small to medium scale farms exist and they are in many ways a majority. And the more that we can do to support them to be able to compete going forward and to thrive going forward, I think that that's a really positive future for everyone. And so that was why I really decided that actually, you know, if we can really bring some value here by having a technology that works, it's very simple. You know, anyone on the farm pretty much can use it. You don't have to be trained in technology and they don't need to hire a tech specialist to have it work on their farm. And it brings value and it saves time and it allows people to bring transparency to their workers or bring transparency to what's happening in the field. And that, you know, most businesses today use data in some way. And I don't see why we should, um, well, we, obviously small to medium scale farms will benefit from small amounts of data. And that's really where I'm focused. And that sort of suggests that it wasn't there. So medium and small medium scale farmers obviously have a need for for better data and to understand because their scale might be smaller, but doesn't mean they can remember everything. But you would guess or imagine from somebody from the outside, like myself, that there would be technology uh, solutions and that you wouldn't have to code this in your spare time, uh, basically <laughs> on the side. Yeah. I mean, so we looked around for systems and I guess the problem was that there were, there were certainly companies out there that were offering technologies, but custom build technologies. So that's really much more focused on, you know, companies who have a lot of capital to spend on developing a technology specifically for their farm. Or we did find some things out there, but they were literally running on Windows 95 and you had to have a special proprietary machine to do it. And an old Windows phone, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it was just like, this is going to waste time, not save time. Like, if you know, amazingly uh, here in Chile, many people... I mean, they sort of have quite amazing systems, but they, you know, they've got like poker chips to keep track of who's harvesting what in terms of blueberries. And then it's all written down in notebooks. Um, and then someone at the end of the day types it all up into a spreadsheet. So you can see that even the simplest of data collection tools are not in use. And I don't know. I mean, maybe those tools do exist. We certainly couldn't find them. But I do think the other side to it is reaching farmers is difficult as well. Yeah, because that would be my, my next question is how, how has it been so far? Uh, what has been the response from the market, which is, you just said, difficult to reach, but interested, I can imagine, in doing things easier. But farmers also have the name of not being the most technology forward and fast 
movers as they have a lot to risk and, and usually quite thin margins. How has been the response yes. from, from your clients? Yes. Well, so, I mean, I obviously we're operating in Chile and the UK and a little bit in Europe and then just starting to in the US as well. And each of those markets is slightly different and the response is slightly different. <laughs> but let me talk a little bit about each one. So in Chile, we work with a number of different small-scale farmers. And I would say that in Chile, people are very open. Here, the farmers are seen still as entrepreneurs and pioneers. You know, you can still make some good money being a farmer here. And so... Why do you say still? Well, if I just compare it to the UK market, where I feel like most farms are either, you know, if they're small, they're struggling to just make ends meet or they've gone to a larger scale. And in Chile, that's different. Very different. Here, most of the farms we work with are between 10 to 30 hectares. In England, that's small. But even the fact that the farm is making that much money, that's just very different to the UK, in my experience. Yeah, it would be a whole it would be a whole different podcast to unpack that probably to understand if it's yes. <laughs> if it's a sustainable thing as in they're ex they're not extracting these returns from the soil or not as as we've done here obviously and now we're running on a much literally thinner uh, thinner layer mm -hmm. or it's is it management or climate or better margins and markets or better methods uh, there would be other cost structures i mean probably a combination of these but it would be interesting to to pack but let's go back to the response of your clients um there in, in chile yeah so um okay so in chile you know i've visited a few clients since i've been here and all of them just say like this is so exciting it's really helped us it's really transformed how we can operate in terms of you know the workers are happier they can see more what's going on each day and I it saves me loads of time you know sign me up and they're just excited to move forward so it's generally been very positive and there are actually a, now in the marketplace there are quite a few competitors also doing what we're doing here and that's only happened I say in the last year and a half two years oh wow so you spurred an industry yeah yeah whereas in the UK we mainly work with vineyards but then also uh general farmers on soil health as well. And to me in the UK, it's all about, uh, actually in farming in general, it's all about working with farming organizations and building trust and for people to build case studies so that people start to really understand what the benefits are. And that's that's been our whole approach. And so, for example, we only just started, we only launched the Soils app just over a year ago now, a year and two months ago. So the case studies are just starting to build and we're just starting to see a growth in people start using the Soils app now. Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below and, and can you explain a bit what the soil app is um as it's different yeah. than the, the the tree monitoring one or the the it is um, the sector monitoring one you mentioned yeah 
Yeah, so the Soils app, it's called Sector Mentor for Soils, and it's all about enabling farmers to go out and look at their own soils and understand if their soils are healthier or not. And so we we work together with the Pasture Fed Livestock Association and a soils advisors, uh, sorry, a soils advisor called Niels Corfield and a soil scientist called Jenny Dungate. And we put together a series of protocols that are just a series of different tests, very simple tests that you can use kind of any equipment from around the farm to do. So one of them is just a simple earthworm count. We have something called the wet aggregate stability test or the slake test, which allows you to see how soil breaks down underwater. And the key to all of the tests is that they are different ways of indicating how alive your soil system is. So that's really what we're testing. And in a way, you can't test that very easily in a lab test. You really have to go look. And many soil scientists will even say that one of the best ways to understand your soils is to go and look and see what's going on. So with our app, it enables you to easily record what you're seeing as you see them. And if you're counting earthworms, you can record that for each field. And then when you go back home, you can see, you know, the field that I tried mob grazing in, has my earthworm count gone up since last year or not? Is my soil structure more stable or not? And therefore, from those trends, you can start to see which of your kind of experiments to build soil health are working better or not. Which is hugely liberating because before you needed or pay a soil scientist to come, which then Uh maybe told you, go and look, or Uh send a lot of samples (laughs) to a very, very expensive lab. Uh-huh. And you don't even know, I mean, you know that the data that comes back, but obviously you couldn't do it for all your fields, let alone multiple pieces of your field. And yeah. you need to do it every year or even twice a year to build up that record. And like with the trees, see if they suffer every year from frost damage and it might be time to cut. Or in this case, it might be time to change the management system. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think what's fundamental to all of our technology, it's about empowering farmers And this tool is all about recognizing that farmers are perfectly capable of understanding how soil works. They know kind of the system and that the idea that someone else needs to tell them how to manage their soil. I just think that's not, it's not very empowering and it's not really the best way to do things because actually the farmers are the people who are on their land all the time looking anyway. So they actually have some of the best insights about what's really going on. So by enabling farmers to go and feel confident looking at their soils for themselves, you know, we have seen farmers just get so excited about that. Um, One farmer, Fidelity Weston, you know, she has been farming for over 30 years and she's a very ecologically minded organic farmer, pasture for life certified. And she had you know, in the 30 years of farming, never looked at her soil in this way, she said. And she got so excited. And since then, she's been doing tests, I'd say every six to eight months, looking at how she's experimenting with mob grazing. And so she's looking at how that is affecting certain fields that she really wanted to build up the forage on, as well as build biodiversity on her farm in general, because that's really her driving force is to ensure that the diversity stays high while she's mob grazing. And, and is she seeing results or is it too early for that as, as you launched the app about a year and two months ago? Exactly. 
So I'd say that's one of the most difficult things about taking to market. And I would say this is generally true of farming technologies is that it takes time because in order to see results, I mean, you do start to see some very, very basic results in soils if you are quite proactive about soil health. So like you change your grazing and maybe you put in a cover crop and do a few other things. But, you know, that that change that you'll see is just maybe um, a few centimeters deeper having lots of roots and better soil structure. Or you might have a, a slightly faster infiltration rate. But to see like real results will take, I'd say, two to three years. Which, which is in the life of a farmer, nothing. So that's exactly. A, but yeah, for, a tech, for a tech company, that's a lifetime. Yeah. Exactly. Like tech companies are made, sold or die in that time. So it is very, very different. And working with agricultural cycles uh, in some ways is a real constraint. And in other ways, I find it wonderful because it really draws you back to the, the rhythm of life and where technology and life come together. And I think that's, yeah, to me, that's a really exciting thing to explore. What is that point? What is that, you know, what's the tension there? And how can we make the two work together in a way that builds ecosystems and doesn't destroy them? So yeah, I'm always playing with that tension slash symbiosis. And and what do you see ahead if we would, interview we do this interview again in a year from now it's now march 2019 what do you see the next 12 months for for the tech company well the thing i'm really excited about right now is that i was just at the oregon wine symposium and i was talking about uh, using sector mentor for vines in order to these same soil tests you can use them in a vineyard and that can tell you how resilient your soil is in your vineyard and how much you're building soil health in the vineyard. And what's interesting about Oregon is that it's a slight, it's a younger wine industry than uh, California, for example, but it's certainly growing. And it's exciting that they have a lot of small to medium scale uh, family vineyard operations there. And so it means that there's actually quite an appetite for innovation. And also they have a strong, and Oregonians traditionally always have had a strong emphasis on ecology and being ecological. And so they are doing some amazing things there. Some of the vineyards we're working with there now. So for me, in a year's time, where we'll be is that we'll have started working with these vineyards in Oregon, a lady called Mimi Castile at Hopewell Wine, together with her and a few others, will have started a kind of ecological vineyard revolution. And I think that that is very exciting. Very, very interesting. And and if you look at the sector, mm-hmm. and um, the sector is much, much bigger, obviously, the, the agriculture and food sector, if you look at from the investing or the investor perspective, and uh, you're looking obviously as a tech company, but also as a farmer and a natural winemaker, it does also processing or, or selling produce. What do you see as the, the biggest barriers to make to let this sector reach a scale, obviously an appropriate scale, to have a bigger impact, like to, to have much more land being fire-friendly, to, to have stopped some of these fires. What do you see as the biggest barriers for this sector to really grow and, and reach its potential impact? 
from an investor's perspective, right? Or from yours, but if you like, imagine there's a there's a room full of, of impact investors listening, and we can go into advice later, or not investment advice, but what you would do if you would be an mm-hmm. impact investor. But let's start from your your perspective as a on the land and and the technology company. What do you see as the biggest barriers? Well, one thing that uh, I have no answer to, and it sort of keeps me up at night, is is the problem of food prices, and that food is so cheap and is in a way, you know, I just don't know how to get around that because the truth is, is food is not cheap (laughs) and that there's a huge amount of risk involved in farming and that there are always years where things don't work out or a fire comes and you just can't avoid that. So the fact that farmers are the people who are like some of the least or some of the people really struggling to me, that that is at the core of being or that is a big issue about going forward and what sustainable or an ecological future looks like is that we need to find a way to have it be that farmers can make decisions that are for ecology and profitability and that the two are aligned. And, and if you could wave your magic wand and, and change something overnight, would it be something on food prices? Yeah, I guess if I was to change something overnight, I would just bring into place, um, oh man, I've forgotten the name of it right now. <laughs> One second. Oh yeah, true, true cost, true a true cost, a true cost yeah. accounting system, basically, because then the no, no longer would food prices hide the true costs. And then, you know, suddenly like food produced regeneratively would be cheaper than food produced by large-scale agriculture um, that's extremely extractive and it would just transform the system. And a final question, I think it's a great answer to the question. A final question, um, let's go back to the the room full of impact investors that are listening and are super excited about soil and are excited about tech, but farmers first tech, obviously. What would be your advice if they haven't made investments in the region ag and food space? Not giving investment advice, but where would you urge them to start reading, to start exploring, or to start putting their money to work? Wow. Okay. Well, I think they should listen to Farmerama. <laughs> um, Definitely. And, yeah. <laughs> and I guess my advice, and I mean, maybe this isn't many investors' appetite, but is to go and work on some farms <laughs> and understand the reality of farming Because until you really understand the risks involved, the difficulties day to day, why farmers make the decisions they do, I think it's very hard to try and transform the system. For example, it's easy to say, oh, well, farmers shouldn't cut down trees because that could cause flooding in the next town. But if the farmer had a drought last year and didn't get any of their wheat crop that they normally get, then they may have to cut down those trees in order to sell the timber to have their business survive or send their kids to school. So I think actually working on the front line is part of the key of understanding the system. But obviously not everyone has an appetite to do that or the time. So the next best thing would be to read books like um, Leah Penniman's Farming While Black, brilliant book, Masanobu Fukuoka's The One Straw Revolution, 
Gabe Brown's Dirt to Soil. What else have I read recently that's brilliant? Soil by Woody Tash, also brilliant. Yeah, I was, I was going to say it, yeah. <laughs> we have a signed copy, yeah. Excellent, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I guess also to go, yeah, it is, if you can't take time to work on farms, then go and talk to farmers. I think one of the biggest issues right now is that a lot of investors see an easy way to invest in regenerative agriculture is through technology as a channel. I would say that's a cop-out personally. So here I am, a technology developer saying that's a cop-out, but (laughs) it is. Technology is not going to save us, in my view. And what will save us is changing mindsets and is working with people. And technology is a tool that will aid people. So to really have impact, I think, you know, what we need to look into is training, is to build case study farms that people could come visit and learn from. The other aspect to it is, you know, creating land trusts and building or having areas of land that people can rent for reasonable prices and farm in a regenerative way. All those kinds of things are, there's lots of ways to get involved. But the only thing I would say is please don't just go invest in a random technology that's going to save us all. Yeah, and I I think if you are that interested in food and agriculture and in the system, a few weeks or a month or working on a farm, is that really such an investment? I mean, you can read at night and you can, but to, to understand uh, the difficulties you, you don't need to do 10 seasons nobody's forcing you to do that but no. at least have have an understanding of in high season obviously of what's happening on local farms or on a farm somewhere else um, I think is is not too much to ask uh, from anyone wanting to put money to work and also making decisions that that affect a lot of people and mm-hmm. it's very difficult to make those if you have no idea who those people actually are mm-hmm. totally couldn't agree more so I want to thank you so much for your time and I will definitely be checking in um, with you on, on the company and on obviously how it's going with the, the olive trees that got burned, but hopefully some of them survive and um, how the Oregon wine industry is responding to, to the technology uh, to really empower them instead of uh, disempowering them. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much. And I think, you know, this is so important to be uh, with the work you're doing to really connect the investment realm with the food and farming world. It seems like there's ever increasing demand. And so the more we can talk the same language and share the stories, the better off we'll be. So thank you for this. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And uh, I was very happy when Farmerama, which is definitely one of my Favorite podcast was sharing a small story I did, uh, I think a year and a half ago on one farmer in, uh, or farmer community actually in, uh, in the Netherlands. So we, we had some cross sharing before. Yeah, <laughs> no, that was brilliant. We love that. We love that whole story. So it was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast, and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you, and if you have the means, please join my Patreon community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or in the description below. 
Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.